Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series with myself, Lisa Farley, coordinator of the talk series here at the Abbey. I got a chance to sit down with dance artist Una Doherty, who's currently appearing on the Abbey stage in Landmark Productions and Galway International Arts Festival's Arlington. In this podcast, Una talks about her work in shorthand with choreographer Emma Martin, the intention of the moment, destroying the silence, and the residue of memory on the body. I've made a few edits to avoid spoilers, but if you haven't seen the performance and think that listening to this recording will ruin the experience of Arlington, think again. Even as you sit in the auditorium and witness Arlington, you won't quite believe what is said, what is heard, and what is seen. The production and performances defy explanation, and once you surrender yourself to this Endo Walsh world, you'll be haunted by it for a long time to come. Enjoy this podcast. Hello, Una Darty. Hey. I've been struggling to find a way into discussing your work, and obviously I should just actually begin with Arlington. Your character, uh, a young woman, her place in these three episodes, it's unexpected, it's powerful, and as a punter, you're kind of swept away with the force of it, uh, a force without words. So in this world, where did Arlington begin for you? Uh, and what was the brief? How was it pitched to you? Uh, Emma Martin, the choreographer, sent me the script. And in the script, I started reading the script thinking, oh my God, because I thought I was going to be the Charlie character. And I was like, oh no, I can't handle remembering all this. And I read and read, read through till it got to like the second act. And it had one line and it says, young woman dances. And I was like, all oh, right, that's me. <laughs> Well, that's that's how it started. I had that line in the script and then I met Emma and we talked about um, the behaviours of people in um, solitary confinement and researched that and the psychosis and the imagery of the psychosis that people have in solitary confinement and OCD and the behaviours of OCD and then we started riffing on that and that's where we built the movement material of the woman. And how much... Rehearsal-wise, how long was that period of time, say, and then...? So I think me and Emma worked uh, every day for two weeks alone in Belfast, in the MAC. Because um, it's only a, it's a 20-minute solo, and we're used to making a one-hour show as well, so we had time to just really dig into like the behaviour of the character and to play with time. How do you choreograph a 20-minute solo that actually means you've been there for years? Um, so we worked on that for two weeks and had something kind of set and then we went to London to meet the, the rest of the cast and Ender and kind of show the solo not knowing how it would be taken so we showed the solo thinking like and then we'll have a week to work on it but they really liked what we had done and we just kind of kept it and then rehearsed it every day for a week um, Emma made a few changes with rhythm and crescendos and stuff and that was it done and then we went to Galway and had you worked with Emma before? Yeah, I've worked with Emma since... Well, we've done two shows together now. I don't know what year we started, but a couple of years we've done Tundra together and then we did Dance Hall together and each of those would have been a six-week period creation. Like So we've we've worked together before. So you have that shorthand. So so the breakdown of that workload, though, so it, for those for that two-week period, how do, you, how do you negotiate that creativity in the room? between yourself and Emma? So the way me and Emma work is really good because we've done so much stuff together already. 
we already know a lot without saying anything. So Emma would show me like really cool footage on YouTube, strange research videos that she's found or films, photography, little bits of postcards, little bits of poetry or other scripts from other places on the vibe that she is. And then she lets me kind of riff on it. I improvise, I create material. I hand the material back to her and then she maybe edits it and her like her strength is to structure it and put it in an order so I just regurgitate a lot of character a lot of movement a lot of ideas and then she tries it in different orders um like as a director would to, to give the scale of time and we just kind of keep doing that to each other but the thing with like the movement that I do is um we are only doing a movement because of an Im imagination intention. So if my back goes back on the floor, it's because I've seen a black wave coming up from the corner. So it's okay for me to change the order of that because even if I'm a different place in time and on the stage, I just need to remember, okay, black wave, and the body naturally reacts to the intention. It's like when an actor has to think about it to have the reason to say it. I do the same for a reason to move. And the split second timing of it all and the pace, can you talk a little bit, I suppose, how to, because it is very precise. Mm. Can you talk about, I suppose, trying to keep that tightness or how you do that? Mm. Yeah, that's a really hard one for this run in the Abbey too, because um, it got too clean and it was getting really, like, really precise. And then Emma was like, we need to like bring the chaos back. So she pushed, added different material in and pushed the pace and the rhythm of it so that I wouldn't be fit enough or in control enough to be able to handle the dance. That was like, she choreographed that in. And so has it changed? Has it changed a lot since Galway? For me, it's changed loads. And some people I know who have seen it in Galway and seen it here, they, they've noticed a difference in it. Um, it's just kind of in the structure, there's new material. But also just getting to do it so many times. Every night it's going to grow and grow a bit more, you know. But then that sounds like as if it's, it kind of grows organically each night. And I was thinking that it was, um, it was controlled and synchronised and there was like split-second timing but it sounds as if you have it's a freedom. It's weird, like it is, like it's all set. Like I know that I jump and I land left foot and then right foot and then I push from my right foot and I go over here and I like every night the arm and the arms and the legs do the same thing every night at the same time. But the thing that grows every night is I still have to really believe honestly the intention for the reason for the arm to lift if you know what I mean the moment that I start going and then I do the jump left right and then it's over it's the whole thing is dead so what is your intention then in those moments what what's the thing that there's that millions this like if you heard the score to this dance there's millions like if I was to talk it through the first few lines in my head is um the thumping which came from um a a prison documentary about a solitary confinement that I saw that the opening credits, it was black, and all you heard was bang, 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 bang. And then the titles came up and it said, this is the sound of solitary confinement. Solitary confinement is really not a quiet place. Everybody in solitary is making a lot of noise and shouting and screaming and banging to try and hold on to sanity. 
So when I first come in, even though there's a bit of Teo's music, I'm trying to uh, like destroy the silence. And then ding, and then I see the room, and I'm, and then I'm like, oh no, the, you know, oh I can't even talk it through. Then I try to escape the room from making myself dizzy. And then I hear something on the wall and I think it's Hugh walking up the stairs and that p brings me along the wall. And then I feel like the whole wall starts to vibrate and it's gonna fall down and that moves me back from the wall. And then I realize the wall's not vibrating. It's me that's vibrating. Like, so every, that, there's, there's, a, there's a, a movement script for mm. every moment in it. From your previous work, Dark Knight, you explored the metaphysical state. And I've heard you use the phrase existential athleticism. Well, existential athleticism is a vibe that I'm on. It's actually more for my own work and hard to be soft. But it's in this as well, I suppose, because of the state the woman's in and the ending of that scene. It's escapism. In Arlington, it's, it's, it's less existential. It's more pure escapism. It's the reason someone takes a yoke. You know, that reason yeah. why you do that. And what it, you know, and you're in a room with nothing but your arms and legs. So how do you make that happen with your arms and your legs? How do you escape the place that you're in? Um, and I believe in the 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 cleansing and spiritual properties of salt. You know, sometimes people would say, put a bowl of salt with water in a room and it will clear the air. Yeah. So it's a bit like kind of like the the Daoists, the te the Deo. I'm into that kind of stuff. So when you sweat, salt comes out of your body. So you're cleansing the body and become making a calmer place for the mind. So some of the young woman's attempt of escapism is through sweating it out. You know, if you're in a, in a state of exhaustion, sometimes you don't see where the walls are. You mentioned... Uh I suppose you mentioned your research in relation to solitary confinement, but uh, you mentioned before that you worked with the young men up in Hyde Bankwood. Yeah, this is so. I have another project called Hope Hunt. It's a solo that I do. Uh, it's about like uh, the young lads stealing cars, taking yokes, going to the door, going inside, coming outside, all this kind of thing. So I was there's was watching those people in Belfast and there's a particular type of rhythm that their body has that is a higher rhythm. And then I was like, and then like energy drinks and the diet and all the, the drugs and all this kind of thing. So I made a solo piece about them where I try and shout slogans that represent their life, but through a phonetic, the same thing as I did with the Dark Knight. So if I'm trying to say keep her lit, then it's a it gets punched through the belly button. Key, 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 keep her, keep her, keep, keep her lit, keep her lit. It, it, you have to kind of spit it out of the body, out of the limbs, to represent like they they find it really difficult to talk about stuff, you know. And then I went to do it in Hyde Bank for the boys, and I was really scared because I was like, it's about them. And I fully expected them to either love it or to really hate it and have a really good reason why they hated it. You worked with them to make that piece? No, or you I were just, just showing them. I just showed them. And I was really upset when I got there that like from being a fancy middle class dancer, the stereotypes that I thought I knew and did in the show, I was right. 
they they did move like that and they couldn't sit still and they did shout keeper lit and they did all the things that I that was the stereotype and how did they respond to seeing middle class dancer stereotyping them yeah you know what they're the most open they've nothing to lose those lads and they were the most open people I've ever met it was the best audience the best gig I've done yet as soon as you drove up in the car to start the show they were just like yeah let's have it what have you got like they just wanted to see what you got and they were taking it on they were loving it and they were cheering you on and everything and then when I finished I sat down and I said a wee speech to them like about salt and about meditation and how to get to a calmer place through like thumping really hard exercise and how it's helped me to calm down and they really like they sat up and they listened and they didn't like they were really open to it I was really really proud I did it then we started to do three weeks of workshops with them and that became more difficult because they were like yeah brilliant see you next Wednesday and then they don't show up oh I'll bring my friend next Wednesday and then two people show up and then one person shows up because you don't know what's going on that day for them maybe the last thing they need to do is go and like do exercise with a wee girl in a gym so I've realised now from doing that it was great to do the gig and I would like to do a Hope Hunt tour of all the um, juvenile detention centres in the UK. But the workshops, now I'm just going to have to try... Work, doing workshops in Hyde Bank is a two to three year project. You don't go in for three weeks and make a show or use their information to make a show yourself. You just need to be with them. Does any, did that experience feed Arlington? colour that the one the first night before I go on stage I said this is for Chris there's a guy called Chris I met he's the longest serving uh, inmate in High Bank what age is he he's I think he's 21 now so he'll either get out or he'll have to go to the adult prison I did it helps to dedicate especially if you're tired to dedicate the show some nights to someone for a higher reason so sometimes I would like the first one was for Chris um yeah I sometimes yeah I would think about them for it but it's sometimes actually too painful because also it's the framework that it's in like uh it's really hard to explain what I'm saying like I'm really grateful to be in the show and it's really beautiful very privileged to be here but it's also it's in the abbey who's coming to see it it's a it's a proper big fancy theater show the boys i met in high bank and their families aren't here and they won't be here and they're never going to come see a show like this so it's sometimes good just for me to fuel myself to dedicate it to them but sometimes it upsets me to think about it too much because they ain't never going to come get to see this stuff what led you to this way of working, which led you on to working with the boys up in High Bank, but what led you... Your style is a particular style. I don't even know if i describe it as dance, but how did... Yeah, what led you to work the way you do? I think the first job that I ever got out of dance school was with a company called Trash um, from the Netherlands. And I left dance school and I worked for Trash like solidly for four years. And Trash is like hardcore punk dance theatre 
she didn't, you know, she was like, fall and slap your face on the ground in a pair of high heels, go. It was really much... There's a lot of damage. There's a lot of, like... She you, was really into, like, yeah, it's really... The you glamour. deconstruct the fall, you fall a certain way, you... Oh, but then I got hooked on falling, because when... So the first year I did trash, you see, we were... I got the fittest I'd ever been because we were trained by a guy called Guillaume Miotto from Bodies Anonymous. And he trained us in this thing called the bounce where you basically bounce up and down for about six hours a day. Like, we were in pieces. With just your bodies or some sort of like... No, just jumping up and down. And we, so he, would like, he, would like, he would like start to bounce and we would bounce for two hours without stopping. Because Trash was really interested in um, exhaustion and exploring exhaustion. So we, I was getting really fit. It was going great. I had a solo in the show. Brilliant. It's your first job. And then one day bouncing, I just dropped and cracked a, f- a bone in my foot. Like I had a real, a real fall. And I've never been able to remake that fall again. My body was so heavy when it hit the ground that day. When the bone cracked, I really went, I could feel the meat of me on the floor. And it was grand, like my he- my foot healed and I went back to work like a few weeks later or whatever. But that, and then I couldn't dance, so I was at home and the guys were carrying on with the show and I needed something to do, so I started making collages. And so after that fall, I started to make collages and I got really into Francis Bacon and the connection of the meat. And then I got really into, uh, what do you call the clown? Who does all the falling over in the sketches, and it's all speeded up in the in the films? Buster Keaton. Oh, right. So then okay. I started to kind of mix Francis Bacon, my trash training, and Buster Keaton together. Okay. But it started from those resources. That's a fantastic medley that I would never have put together. Um, yeah, I have a mad head. Usually people are like, what, when I'm having a conversation? Because no. it's dyslexia as well. I've been blessed with dyslexia. So you, the, there's the branches of the tree are not linear. Well, actually, talk to me about that. Yeah, I just wasn't great at writing or maths or reading or anything. And then there was an after-school dance club. I went to St. Louise's College on the Falls Road. And there was an after-school. So first I moved from London and I had a London accent in a school, all-girls school on the Falls Road. So I was already a weirdo, like, and I auditioned to get into Oliver and I didn't get into Oliver and everyone was, I was like, well, what am I doing? I'm not the only London kid here. And there was a dance class after school and it was improvising to the musical Cats, which sounds so ridiculous, but I'm so much of a weirdo that at 11 I was like, yeah, okay, I'm home. (laughs) <laughs> did you know you could dance before that obviously you had an aptitude for it or were you were you dancing at I did home? Irish dancing once in London that was it and that was it so then you moved to Belfast the Falls Road St. Louis's and you're, you you started dancing home. when I was 12 11 12 yeah I wasn't training when I was a kid like a like ballet and all I'm sure I was moving it probably just wasn't dance I was probably just playing imaginary games and all everybody's a dancer though I would, I don't know, I feel like people with dyslexia sometimes make connections in a more obscure way. And I think that can sometimes help when you're drawing on images for choreography. You can get um, things that you think are related are not maybe in the norm, norm related, but then when you see them together, other people are like, oh yeah, 
when you realised you wanted to dance, was that nurtured at home? Was that something that, I mean, does it, do you come from a, an artsy family? or No, I'm a f- well, not on paper. Like, my mum's an accountant, my dad's a merchant sailor, and my, and my brother, like, they don't do arts jobs or nothing. My, dad, my brother did art when he was doing his A-level, and he's quite good at drawing, but he doesn't do anything anymore. Um, and my dad is not like he's a sailor, but he's a he's an actually actually he's an artist, but like would never say that, you know, just with his style of how he would decorate a house, how he would paint, and all the way he would dress. Sometimes the art leaks out, even if you're not doing it as a job. Um, so not a really arty family, but they always they were like. Yeah, they always really supported. It kept me out of trouble for a long time. Like, when most people were, like, 15 and, like, getting a carry-out, I was dancing. When did you know? Was there a particular moment that you knew that it all kind of fitted and you knew that this was how it was going to be? Yeah, I was really lucky because when I was, like, 12 and I started doing the after-school club, straight away I was like, I'm a dancer, I'm going to be a dancer. And then I had a really good dance teacher, Mary Mannion from St. Louis, who was like, OK, you're going to be a dancer. And that was it. I just never changed my mind. And I met, like, people in my old town whenever I came back from Holland. So I must have been, like, in my 20s or something. So I used to drink with a girl called Jenna Fraser in the pub when I was 15 and, you know, be like, what are you going to be? And I was like, I'm going to be a dancer. And then met her years later. And she's like, what, do, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm a dancer. And then being really, like, surprised. We're like, well, you always said you were going to do that and you're doing it. So it was like after the first few dance classes, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And then never changed my mind. You mentioned coming from London to Belfast. Do you relate to one more so than the other? Or are you, are you kind of a hybrid? Or are you very much anchored in one? You feel an anchor in one place? I would never go back to London and live in London again I don't think at the moment unless I won the lottery I'm not going to move to London why because of everything it's so expensive there's so much advertising everywhere it's a bit busy I just can't handle it at the moment I think it's a bit too busy for me I like the having a bit of countryside in Ireland I don't know I, I would say Ireland's my home you're talking about the busyness that you try to avoid? Yeah, but also but I used to live in London and I used to go to nightclubs incessantly and made a lot of fabulous mistakes in London. So I think, you know, you bring your nervous system history with you. Your nervous system. You Something I read, you know, a quote that you said as if your nervous system informs or feeds the movement or feeds it back, can you? Yeah, for sure. You can't help it. Everybody's doing it every day. You think you're just uh, reacting to the moment, and that's rubbish. You're reacting to the moment and everything that's ever happened to you before. That's a bit epic, isn't it? Yeah, but you've only got one body, and it's lived through everything with you. So then how do you reconcile what you do on stage every night, in this instance, for a couple of weeks? How do I calm down from it, like, or... Yeah, well, yeah, well, then how do you... How do you separate that from your body? Because you're living, in a way, through that experience every night. Yeah, I know, yeah. I suppose try to, um, even though I'm going to a kind of a... It can be a bit dark. I'm doing it um, in the hope to release chi 
energy from my body and therefore all the audience's body and so if we are all in fear in that moment together that that fear gets released in the attempt for collective hope I'm not trying to make more dark energy be in the world. I'm trying to use the dark energy that's in the world through my body and release it and give it a bit of space. In a normal everyday kind of instance is, is how do you, how do you anchor yourself? How do you relax or calm down or you, do you dance? Like do you? Yoga. Yoga. I'm mad into yoga. Yoga's class. Yeah. Talk to me about the benefits of yoga. Yoga like keeps you sane, helps your anxiety, helps your stress, um, helps you bring your giggle back and some of your confidence back, and uh, you have less pain in the body. Do you feel, um, do you feel exhausted uh, after every performance? I realize you're a trained dancer. You you know you're used to bouncing six hours. I get that. But do you feel kind of wasted? at the end of it? This run has been much better than I thought it was. I was really in a state in Galway. I was like, I was grand, but I was really tired and I had loads of pain. I don't know what's done. I suppose because you're getting older, so there's been time in my body since Galway and now that I've, my body's prepared, like I know when it's going to get tight and I've been working for about a year and a half now on how to be more open and softer so even when I go and I punch myself try to train the body how to punch soft on the inside of the muscle so you get tired but like no but it's okay it's not so bad like it's a really nice job it's good um are you an observer by nature do you uh do you watch people do you watch how they move is that you know is that you know actors do it do you you know I think I think so subconsciously I don't know if I'm so aware that I'm doing it but I think so yeah and then the follow-on question that would be do you wear the characters for a long time can you mm. yeah. yeah um yeah that's sometimes a problem is you need um if you've got time off after the show and you're just doing like maybe just yoga or some type of movement that's the opposite to the show that you just did, you can realign everything and it's grand. You can go back to zero state to clear slate to start the next thing. Sometimes you have to go from one show straight to the other um, and then you can see some residue of the old show. Like when we first started doing Arlington again, um, one of the uh, corrections that Emma had for me was to become more feminine because I had some hope hunt still in the spine and I was being too manly with it because that was still in the body from the last show. Can I ask you, it's, it's a, definitely a Billy Elliot kind of question. I love Billy Elliot. I thought it was the best film ever. What age did you see it at? God, like probably embarrassingly quite old. I was probably, what, A-levels, AS-levels? What age are you then? 17? I was a really young 17-year-old. Uh, what I wanted to ask you about this Billy Elliot question was, how do you feel when you dance? Mm. Yeah, I would love to be like, I feel free and electric and all, but I feel whatever the intention of that movement is. So if for Arlington, I feel fear, uh, trapped, and an attempt to release myself. 
because that's what I, that's what the movement is. And then like in Hope Hunt, I feel like proud, proud and afraid at the same time. And then in Lazarus, I feel like anger and also that I'm made of light. So it's um, for every, it's like saying, what do you feel when you act? It depends on what the character is. Can you, will you talk a little bit about the next project or at least it might be the project you're working on with David Holmes? So the Belfast I, Prayer? Yeah, Hard to be Soft, a Belfast Prayer. So I'm making a, f- uh, a one hour new dance theatre show dance show I'm not sure what you call it a dance show and it's a it's in four parts it's got four episodes the first episode is Lazarus and the Birds of Paradise that's my solo the second episode is Sugar Army which is a collaboration with a hip-hop dance company from Belfast called a gen dance all girls episode three is the meat kaleidoscope with two large males Irish dads like a Irish dad duet and then the fourth episode is called Helium and it's a solo for the dancer Ryan O'Neill and it's uh, a music by David Holmes some audio recordings from the boys in Hyde Bank audio recordings from the disco dancers in East Belfast other interviews of Belfast people that I've been talking to David's music and trying to take just different elements of Belfast and really heightening them into like a dance sci-fi version of them and then putting it in limbo. <laughs> That's like what we're gonna try and do. Okay, no, like make to... a two thousand and one space odyssey about Belfast. Okay. I'd go to see that. Yeah. I'll buy a ticket. Um, October in the Mac. To wrap up, mm. one the final question would be what work do you return to? for inspiration like what like what's your touchstone and I suppose is your compass for how you work mm. I often would go back to Bouncing from Gilliam back to Francis Bacon um, who else do I go back to Jackson Pollock I go back to lots of painters for inspiration for movement Jackson Pollock and Francis Bacon would be the ones I go back to a lot. That would make sense because it's it's so visual. Yeah, the meat and the soul in the meat from Francis and the splash, 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 the freedom of the Pollock. Minadarty, I will leave it there. Thank you. Thank you. Now you can explain the OA to me. Did you have watch you the seen OA? it? I have. I loved it. Oh my God, I loved it too. I, there were bits that I thought were tweaked. <laughs>